good morning, good morning. Thank you so much for being with us here today. This morning, we are finishing up our series on outlaws. And how many of you have enjoyed this as much as I have? Yeah, lots of us have. It really has been a, a fantastic study as we've looked through and walked through um, really what I think are the, is the finest uh, parts of Scripture, Romans chapters 6, and, and focusing a lot on 7. Then Now today, we're going to finish up today in Romans chapter 8. And so if you would, turn, your, turn there this morning to Romans chapter 8. We're going to work through uh, verses 1 through 4 this morning. And, and as you turn today, how many of you would like some good news? Anyone went in the mood for some good news? Yeah, lots of us would like that, of course. You know, it, it's, it's interesting that there's so much bad news in the world nowadays. We as believers have the good news, right? We know that's the good news. We know that, that what we, we know as the gospel is the good news. But what's fascinating to me is that there's people that know about the good news. They know about the gospel, and yet it's not good news to them. They don't consider it to be good news. And, and I think it has something to do with their lack of understanding of what we're going to walk through today. Now, that could be because it's never been explained to them. It could be for a lot of reasons. But man, what we're talking about today is absolutely critical for all of us. And it really is, it really is good news. And, and this is it's why I titled today's message, The Good News is Gooder Than You Thought. And while you're thinking about um, how I mispronounced gooder, I did that on purpose this morning, but we're going to focus today again on Romans chapters, uh, or chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, and we're going to discover some reasons why the gospel actually is gooder than you ever had thought before, and why that's not just a title, it's actually true. Now let's listen here, or listen as we began. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation. That is good news, right? That's pretty incredible. It's, it's awesome. Now, so the first thing we're going to discover today is that we have a new reality. When we are in Christ, the reality for us is that our lives are a celebration. That God has made our lives a celebration. Now, let's go through the verse slowly today. There is... Therefore, now. Now, this does not mean someday, right? This does not mean at your deathbed, right? Someday, a long time from now, I will not have condemnation. No. What this says is this says there is therefore now no condemnation. Now. And now what? What does it mean now? Now what? It's now no condemnation. We're going to get to condemnation in a moment today, but we're going to focus today on the little word we blow right by like a speeder through a speed trap today. We're going to focus on the word no. No is an important word here. I want to think about this word because the longer I pastor and the longer that I am a believer, the more I realize that we need an explanation of the word no when it comes to this context. So to help you out today, we're going to look at the word no. I'm going to define it today. So you can look at the screen behind me, but this is the working definition of the word no. No, okay? Uh, no is used in a negative response, right? Is anything wrong? No. No, I will not go out on a date with your cousin Ralph. Uh, here's some synonyms. Absolutely not. Most certainly not. Of course not. Under no circumstances. By no means. Not at all. Negative. Never. Not really. No. 
right? Now, if you're like me and you like some kind of more informal usages, here's some more informal ones. Nope, nada, uh-uh, nah, not in your life, no way, uh, and then it's close cousin, no way, Jose, ixnay, no! The word is no, none, zero, zip, no means no. Now, no does not mean less. Does not mean less. Now, many Christians read no, right? But we think it means less. But it actually doesn't mean less. It really does mean no. And it certainly does not mean more. It does not mean more. Uh, many Christians live as if living as a Christian, in fact, does, though, mean more condemnation. Remember a time in my life as a, a young believer when I thought, and I, I can't believe now I thought this, but again, this is what happens when you, you, you get the wrong thinking on this passage, is I remember thinking, man, you know, I, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, I, I, I know Jesus, but man, I, I just, I lived under such condemnation over so many things that I remember thinking, if I only wasn't a Christian, I, might, I could have more peace. I could have more joy and peace because I just had this just huge level of, of condemnation. Of course, that's crazy now, but there are people that live as if this scripture actually means more condemnation. It doesn't. It's actually none. Zero. Christian, listen, you are completely taken out of the realm of any possible conceivable condemnation. And that's, that's, that's just it. No means no. Period. As a Christian, you should never feel condemnation, ever. If you are hearing condemnation, if you're listening to condemnation, you are not listening to the voice of the Spirit, which brings us to a great question, Pastor. If I, if I hear condemnation, why? Why do I hear condemnation? Because I, I do. Well, I'll, I'll just be honest with you. Today, it's result of probably one of two things. The first one is you just don't understand what the gospel is. You, you have a lack of understanding the gospel. You're like, well, that's pretty, it's pretty real. Yeah, it, it really is. And, and, and that's, that's what I discovered back when I lived with more condemnation, is I just had a lack of understanding of, of the goodness of the gospel. And you've trained your heart, your mind, your conscience to allow and take in condemnation, and therefore you feel condemned. See, you've listened to it. That's the first one. The next, second one today could be that the enemy is trying to short-circuit the victory God has already given you, making you feel condemned, and you're buying it. And see, what's, what's difficult about this is that the enemy uses the Word of God so often to condemn us. And so it is pretty confusing sometimes, and, but rather than you use the Word as a weapon against him, he's using the Word as a weapon against you and condemning it. And the truth, church, is that you can win this battle. You can actually win it every single time, bar none. You can win this battle. Well, how? What what do I do? Well, you, you give this battle an absolute death blow by using the only effective weapon against it, and that is the Word of God. Right? You win it every time. When the enemy makes you feel condemned, you say, Lord, you say, enemy, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And you see, it's a big deal. It's a big deal this morning. I, I want to focus today next on the little word in. This word has big, big implications for us. And 
This passage way back in Romans chapter 5, and you've got to go way back for that, of course. Paul breaks down humanity into, into two different camps. And the first one is those who are in Christ, in Adam. So, of course, Adam is the first man, and, and he took the bait. Sin is brought in the world through him and such, and so we're kind of all under him. So everyone is either in Adam or they're in Christ. Being in Adam is the default. That's sin, that's brokenness, that's judgment, that's condemnation, and that's the default for all of mankind. And, and this, is, this is what I think is a problem in, in the modern church. I'm just going to be frank with you today. I think a, a problem we have in the modern church is that many don't want to believe anymore in the depravity of mankind. We want to say, well, man, people, mankind, they're, they're good. I mean, people are good by nature. And, and my only response to that is, no one taught my kids, my perfect little angels, how to lie and how to, do, how to fight and such. No one taught them how to do that. It's just, it's just in them. It's, it's in them just like it's, just like it's in me. I mean, it's, all of us have this. and it's, it's natural as breathing to live under sin and to live under its, its influence. And that's being in Adam. But Christian... Thanks to what Paul tells us in Romans chapters 6 and 7, that's the old us. It's dead. It's gone. When Christ died on the cross, that part of us died with him. And when Christ was raised on the third day, that part of us is raised with him. We are no longer of, of that life. We are no longer in Adam. We are now, as Paul teaches us, we are now in Christ. We are now in Christ and we have a new life. In Christ. <coughs> Man, that is, that is that's, that's good news. And, and so today I want to illustrate this this morning with the volunteers. So Pastor Tyler is going to come up this morning and, and we're, going to, uh, we're going to kind of show you what this, what this means this morning. Um, this is how this works when you have a new life in Christ. And, and it's your, when your life is, is different, you see, for, for much of our lives, again, being in, in Adam, um, when condemnation comes, there's not much you can do about it. So, of course, I have this little, you know, condemnation. You, you, you're, you're condemned. You're, you're, you're hit. You're, 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 it, it comes from all sides, and it sticks because that's what happens when you are in sin and you are in Adam. In Adam, things like those, things like, like condemnation and guilt and such, that, that sticks to us. And see, someone who's without Christ can say, well, I don't have any condemnation. I, don't, I just don't think about it. And a person could brush off all of this stuff today. They could do that. But, but truthfully, someday, and all of us know this deep down in heart, someday we will face judgment. If you read Revelation, everything an unbeliever says is written in a book. And at the time of judgment, the books will be open and we'll stand before the one whose eyes are like fire. We'll give an account of every single deed done. And of course it'll happen because they've sinned against the law and they're under its jurisdiction and the law keeps records. And, and so condemnation sticks. And so some of us feel this when we are out, outside of Christ. We feel this condemnation. It, it hits us. And for, to give us another illustration of this, Let's say I committed a crime in Minnesota, okay? I did something just terribly wrong and such, and, and so I committed a crime. And if you committed a crime, you'd be committing it against the state law, right? You'd be committing crime against the state law. And what happens when you commit a crime against the state law? 
um, there will be a record kept. You'll stand before a judge, and, and you know how this works. And so the law of the state of Minnesota, it prescribes my crime and prescribes my punishment. And because you're under its jurisdiction, it stinks. So again, you are being hit from, from all sides with condemnation. You did this, and you didn't do this, and such. That's the, the nature of condemnation. But see, this is what's so good about Jesus, is that he wraps us. This morning, he wraps us in him. When we are in Christ, we are no longer in Adam, and we are now made different. Now, when condemnation comes, it doesn't hit us. It hits Christ. And, it, and here's the news this morning, church. Condemnation doesn't stick to grace. It only sticks to the law. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who were in Christ Jesus. Man, celebration. Is your reality church Christian? You are taken completely and wholly and 100% out of the realm of any possible conceivable condemnation. Man, that's good, isn't it? Yeah, man, it's, it's an amazing thing. See, now you might say, well, now great, what if, what if I sin? If you're saying sin doesn't matter, I can do what I want to do, it doesn't matter. No, that's not what I'm saying. See, church, when you sin, when you are in Christ, your relationship with all of this changes absolutely without, without question. It's, it's completely different. When you're in Adam, you sin against the law. Again, remember, I talked about this before. You sin against the law. But when you're in Christ, you're sinning against love. Now, what does that mean by sinning against love? You see, Christian, when this, let me just explain this like, like this. A couple, couple years back, my wife and I were at a, a boat show, and um, we saw this boat I, you know, I, for, for like a minute, and, and I'm not a boater, I'm not a sportsman, I'm not, you know, not that, but for like a minute, I was like, I'd be cool with a boat, right? It'd be kind of fun, and so I don't know anything about boats, I don't know what they cost or anything, so I remember we were in this one boat, and I, I looked at the tag on it, or the, the, the sheet, the, the price sheet on it, and it was, it was like $81,000, and I said, well, that's... It's kind of the end of that one, right? I'm, I'm not doing that. And so, um, so I, we didn't do that. But let's just say for a minute that, that, that I told my wife, I said, hey, let's buy a boat. And she said, it's $81,000. And I said, so we can figure it out. Uh, you know, we'll do something. She says, no way. Uh, we're not buying a boat for, you're not putting me in debt for $81,000 for a boat. So I'm still, okay, fine. So let's just say for a minute that, that I said, I'm still going to do it. I, I want to do it, and I look at Cedric, and I say, Cedric's got the money, right? You know, you know Cedric's got the money. He's, he's loaded. And so I'm going to break into Cedric's house, okay? And I'm going to steal something from Cedric. I'm going to steal his money or his wallet or something. So I'm going to steal that as the down payment, and then to pay for the boat uh, long term, I'm going to steal his credit. I, I steal his credit cards and maybe his, his uh, social security number and such. And so I, I, I buy the boat, but I'm not really buying it. I'm actually buying it under Cedric's name and with his stuff. And so, of course, we know that would be against the law, obviously, right? That's what happens when you sin in Adam. But, but here's sinning against love. So let's just say for a minute, I, I decided, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to buy this boat. My wife isn't going to know about it until, I, of course, I bring it home. But let's say I go out and I, I, I take her, her mom's wedding ring and I hawk that. And, and I, it's worth some money, and I use that as the down payment for the boat. And then I put my wife and I under, um, 
under the, this, this, this note for this boat. And so I, I put her, I indebt her to this boat. I tie, tie, tie her to it for the next several years. And, and that's what I do. Well, see, technically that's not illegal. I'm not sitting against the law when I do this, but I, how many do you know that if I were to do that, there will be trouble. And the trouble will probably be deeper than and the law, that's, that's the difference between sinning against, against the law and sinning against love. Christian, when you sin now, when you were in Christ, you are not sinning against the law. You are sinning against love. See, when we're wrapped in the grace of God given through Jesus, it changes our relationship with the law, with the sin, with, with all of it. See, our reality as believers is we have celebration because God has changed us from the inside out. But then the next part today, today is there, there's a reason for this. The reason today is, it's in a word, the word is justification. Now, what is that? Well, justification is the act of God. Now, I think that's clear this morning is that who does this? Well, it, it, it's God who does this. It's the act of God whereby the sinner is given now, so often in our faith stories, we are the star of the show, aren't we? we? You know, it's like, well, I did this, and I was this, and I did that, and then I came to the place where I realized God loved me, and I came. We're, we're often the star of the show, but church, I will be honest with you this morning, we're not the star of the show. Jesus Christ is, God is, God does this. You see, God, God called, we responded, but it's his call we responded to. He's the star of the show. We see, he, we, he, is, he has given us the faith to believe. When we, and we receive forgiveness of sin. That's past, that's present, that's future. And we are assigned the righteousness of Christ. You see, this is a good way to remember this. He's He's cleaned my life up to a point where he made it just as if I had never sinned. Let's continue in our text today. Verse 2, it says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death, for God has done. Again, who? God did. Not you. He did this. That's the heart of the gospel. And God did what you and the law and nothing else could never do. Why? Because it was weakened by the flesh. It couldn't do that. It couldn't help you. What could it not do? It couldn't justify you. It couldn't make you clean. All it can do is point out where you're wrong and what you've messed up on, which is helpful, of course. It's helpful to know where We've messed up, but the law can only point out where you're wrong. It can't erase the mistake. So, as verse 3 continues, he sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now, notice the precision here, which Paul uses to describe this. Not sinful flesh, in the likeness of sinful flesh. Jesus was not a created God. Jesus was and Jesus is God. He was 100% deity wrapped in 100% human flesh. And the only flesh that's been untainted by sin. Why? Because his father is not Adam. His father is God. Jesus doesn't live in the same reality as we did. And God sent him to this world. And died on the cross for our sins to change 
Our relationship with all of it. Come on, somebody. That's good news this morning. You see, this is why Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says, There is therefore, uh, there is there no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. Man, that's some good news this morning. See, he did this by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. This wasn't some haphazard thought or some, some, some afterthought or haphazard idea. See, check out how the message lays this down. I love this. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, and the message says, Long before he laid down the earth's foundations, he had us in mind. He had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Christ Jesus. What great pleasure he took in planning this. Church, he takes pleasure in doing all of these things for you. Pleasure for... He, he loves us this morning. Celebration is our reality. The reason is justification. And lastly this morning, the result of this is sanctification. Now, now what is that this morning? Well, sanctification is, comes from the Greek word hagiaso, which means to be separate or set apart. In the Bible, God, uh, oftentimes we find the Old Testament, God sets things apart. He, has a, he does something sovereignly whereby he sets apart a person, place, or thing for his purposes so they may be accomplished. And for example, in the book of Exodus, in uh, verse, verse 30, 43 of, of chapter 29, he says this, God, God sanctifies a place of worship. He says, there I will meet with the children of Israel and the tabernacle will be sanctified by my glory. And similarly, when a person is, is sanctified, <clears throat> he or she is being set apart for a specific divine purpose. Now, what do you think that might be? You might say, well, I know. Well, if you do know, great. Maybe you don't this morning. Let's, let's skip down a little bit in chapter 8. Uh, let's skip down to verse 14. It says this. It says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are called sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, we're heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified in him. Why? Why did God do all this? What's the divine purpose that we are sanctified for? Well, it's, it's pretty simple. He loves us. He loves us as heirs. He loves us as, as sons and daughters. Man, some of you need to get that in your heart this morning. That is good news. See, he didn't do all these things to, because you can do something for him. He didn't do all this stuff so you can, you know, make, he can make your life uh, you know, more valuable to him or whatever. He does this because he loves you. He cares about you. He sent Jesus to this earth not because you can do something for him. He sent Jesus to this earth because he loves mankind. He loves us. He cares about us. He wanted to provide a way for us to come out of all this mess and be free from it. And that's what he did through Jesus. That's sanctification. He's back to verse 4. It says, In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but 
by according to the Spirit. Now, this whole sanctification concept comes down to one simple word. The word is, is holy. And, and many people have been tripped up in, in this spot here. We keep putting back this in the series because it, it really is a pretty important part of this whole concept. We, we come back to this because so often we have this idea that to be holy, I have to do something to become holy. Like i got to make a decision and I've got to you know, do something different or whatever. And that makes me holy. Like if I don't do this, then I'll be holy. If I do this, then I'll be holy. And see, church, that is not the idea of holiness. That's not the concept anywhere of what holiness might be. I want to remind you one more time, a rules-based approach to godliness will fail every time. We think holy people do this, and holy people don't do this. A rules-based approach to godliness will fail every time. See, there's, there's some truth to some of those things. Holy people do live different. Holy people don't live... I mean, they, there is some difference to those, some of those things. But church, you will never be able to fill in that blank alone. You will try and you will fail. You'll be promised freedom and all you will feel is chains. You will hear good life and all you'll experience is struggle because a rules-based approach to godliness will fail every single time. Church, you have been set free from that this morning. God has put the sun around us. God has put the Spirit in us. And all of this to show that the Father is for us. I want to close with this illustration this morning of of this, I have a plate here today. This is plate is, of course, beautiful. It's it's gold. It's got gold around it. It's it's, it's an old plate. This was uh, the plate from, that my grandmother received during uh, at her um, at her wedding. It, it's very old. It's very special to our family, and and it's only been used in very very special occasions. You don't use this plate just for anything. You use this plate for for pretty amazing moments for special guests and such because this is so beautiful and so valuable and so special. But let's just say for a minute that, that, that this plate um, were to be, be placed in the home of, of a farmer. And a farmer had this and put it in a very special spot and had it hot, left high up. And, and let's just say for a moment that that farmer uh, who owned this plate went away on a trip for a certain period of time and, and left to take care of the farm was a, a hired hand. And that hired hand had to scoop some poop one day and he didn't have anything in the, in the barn, so he comes in the house. Well, there's got to be something in the house that I can use to, to do my job. And he walks through, and he's looking for a shovel, but doesn't see one. But he comes across this plate, and he says, oh, this plate, this will do. Anything will do. Right? Like any old plate will do. Any old shovel, whatever. It doesn't matter. So he takes the plate out to the barn. And he begins to use what the plate has been, has, been, has been given for a specific, wonderful purpose. And he takes it out to the barn and he uses it to shovel poop. And of course, if that happens, it's going to get stinky. It's going to get dirty. It's going to get messy. It's going to get chipped and, and broken and ruined and all kinds of things. And so now with this what this farmer has intended for only the most special of guests now finds itself out in the barn shoveling poop. And of course, this hired hand, just, nope, doesn't care that much. It's just a, just a shovel. Now, let's say now the, the, 
This plate realizes what's going on and says, man, my life was better when I was in the house and when I was put on display, it was a much better place for me. And so let's say the plate tries with all his might and says, man, I, I want to I figure out how I can get back in there. And if I just do this, and if I just do that, if I don't allow the, this guy to use me for this anymore, then maybe that'll work. No, see, all his efforts and all his his time doesn't really help him all that much. He needs help. And so this farmer comes back home and gets this, realizes what's happened and realizes what's been done. And the farmer takes the plate out of the barn and, and the farmer has the ability, like no one else does, to bring repair and, and to bring back this plate to what it was before in its original glory. And the, and the farmer takes the plate and once again sets it back in the place of prominence and wraps it with his, with his special wrath that protects this plate from this ever happening again. Church, that is what God has done with you. Some of us have been this plate. We've been set apart. We are holy, but... You've, and you've tried to get back to that place by making rules to follow, and it's failing you. You have misunderstood what it means to be holy. You were holy because God made you holy. Why would he do that? Because he's for you. You are placed in Christ, and the broken pieces of sin are made whole as you are wrapped in him. You are led by the Spirit who is in you to walk in that direction. My, my, my prayer for you this morning as we close is, is this. That you would walk in the grace of Jesus by putting him on daily. That you would walk in his grace every single day and you would realize that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That you would realize that you are sanctified. You are set apart. You are made holy. You are justified. You are made as if you had never sinned. You have made clean in Him. Church, your reality is celebration. Not because of what you have done, because what God has done for you. And He has given you the freedom to live. Give me the freedom to thrive. He's given me the freedom to, to live life as it was meant to be lived from the beginning of time in Him. And He did all these things because He loves you so much. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, I thank You for this amazing passage of Scripture. Lord, I thank You, Jesus, that You have provided for us a way. Lord God, what a blessing, what an honor, what a privilege it is, Lord, to know You and walk with You. May we not come to the place where we think that we have this all figured out on our own, but may we come to the place where we are thankful. We come to You, Lord Jesus. We come to You thankful for what You have done for us on the cross. We come to You thankful, Lord, that You have changed us and You have made us different. From the inside out, I pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen.